Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. That song, Standing on Holy Ground, is probably one of my all-time favorites. There's just something so powerful about recognizing where it is that we are. And where I think about Moses as he walked up and he saw a bush that burst into flames, though it didn't burn, and God said, well, the, the, God spoke to him out of the bush and began to talk to him and share visions and dreams with him. But before he did, made him take off his shoes because he recognized the place to be holy. And I wonder sometimes, I'm not asking anybody to take off your shoes, please don't. Um, but I wonder sometimes how many, how many opportunities we miss in the presence of God because we don't recognize the place that we are in. This place here at 8378 Atley Road is not holy because we built it and we dedicated it. It's not holy because we have church in it. It's holy when God shows up. And it's because that God's presence is here that it becomes holy. And when we recognize that we are in his presence, we have to come quickly come to the realization that anything is possible. I think about that other song, Holy Ground, that we sing sometimes where it talks about, it shows really the change that God does in our lives when broken people can become healed, when prisoners can be set free, when those that are captive and are no longer bound, when those that are they're set free by the power and the presence of God. We are in that kind of presence today. And I feel almost overwhelmed to try to dig into my message today or make announcements or anything else. But I, I want us to, as we dig into the word today, to be aware of where we are. And it's not that we are at Life Church, which I'm thankful that we're at a place that facilitates the presence of God, but we are in the presence of the very same God that said, let there be light and the sun came into existence. The very same presence of God that scooped up a pile of dirt on the earth and began to shape mankind and breathed into man the breath of life and he became a living soul. The very same God that sent his angel down to tell Mary she would conceive and have a son and the very same God that was then born into the world in the form of Jesus Christ, the very same God that hung on a cross for you and for me, the very same God who poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost that people might be able to walk free in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the very same God that's going to step out on the clouds of glory and return one day to take us home to be with him forever and ever. It's the very same God that calls all things into existence. The very same God that gave you breath in your body today. He's here. He is here. And whatever you have need of, no matter how great it may seem in this moment, it pales in comparison to the greatness of our God. And today, I want you to know you are in a place where you can submit all things to him and recognize that he will scoop you up and pick you up into his arms and gather you close, and he will work in your life in ways that you never dreamed possible if we'll submit ourselves to him today. 
if I can. Uh, and I promise I won't keep you any longer than I have to. Is that all right? I don't have anything planned until like 3.30, so y'all okay? Y'all good? All right. <laughs> I know y'all are lying. Y'all are just applauding for my benefit, and I appreciate that. Um, but uh, over the last few years, we've seen sickness and the potential for it cause so many people uh, to be separated, disconnected, isolated. Uh, COVID has certainly done a number on our ability to be connected for some more than others, but regardless of how you feel about the the measures of isolation that were done, whether they stopped the spread of COVID or not, uh, the concerns that many people have are real. And the sickness that many have experienced is damaging and it does cause real problems for many people. Now, I in no way am endeavoring to minimize what many have suffered, but there is one set of symptoms that has kind of made me laugh at times. I mean, we all know the symptoms, right? Congestion, cough, headaches, body aches, fatigue, fever, labored breathing, sounds like a NyQuil commercial. But invariably, whenever anyone discusses someone's COVID symptoms, they almost always mention their loss of taste or smell. Uh, they, they don't talk about all the other ones so much, but they talk about those. I mean, you could literally have all the other symptoms and there's always somebody who's like, yeah, but did you lose your taste, of, taste and smell? When I had COVID, I never had anyone say, hey, did you have a headache? Did you have a fever? Did your chest hurt? Did it hurt to breathe? But almost every person asked me, did you lose your taste? Did you lose your smell? And I did not. If I had, maybe I'd have lost a little weight. That would have been a better thing. But um, two weeks alone in a house with food, I mean, it's not a good thing. So why is it that everyone is consumed by whether you can taste or smell? I don't know why in regards to COVID that so many people get hung up there, but in general, as humans, we are very consumed by our senses, aren't we? How something smells, how something tastes, what something sounds like, how something feels, what we can see. We are consumed by what we can observe with our senses. We are given by God five senses, our ability to see, to hear, to taste, touch, and smell. And how we perceive the world around us is determined by the use of those senses. I think the reason why so many latch on to the symptom of loss of taste or loss of smell in regards to COVID is because the loss of a sense hinders our ability to perceive the world around us. We're so used to being able to smell, to taste, and then having those senses dulled or hindered creates a sense of significant loss. We are somehow deficient because our senses are failing. And that's what I want to share with you today. My title uh, for this message today is when my senses fail me when my senses fail me we have a way that we perceive the world around us and what to do when that happens when our way of perception our way of understanding the world around us is hindered or blocked or taken away or changed what do we do what do we do when we see or what we hear or what we feel or what we smell or what we taste it doesn't fit what we think it ought to be. It doesn't fit the things that we've believed. It doesn't fit our perceived idea of what life was supposed to have been like. What do we do when our senses fail us? So I came across this story in the Bible last week during my Bible reading. It's found in the book of Genesis chapter 27. Uh, you can turn there with me if you'd like in your Bibles or you can follow along in the screen in just a moment. I'll get to those verses. Um, but in that passage, the story tells us about two brothers. They were twins. They had literally been struggling against one another since before they were born. In the womb, they were trying to antagonize each other. 
Their names are Esau, who was born first, and Jacob, who had hold of Esau's heel as they were being born. The Bible tells us that as they grew up, the mother Rebekah favored Jacob, and the father Isaac favored Esau. Literally, their parents continued this sibling rivalry uh, by picking favorites. Hope no parents in here do that. Um, the boys were polar opposites. Esau was rough and tumble. He was hairy, outdoorsy, a lumberjack of a man who loved hunting and being outside. All of the guys in the house were like, yeah. Hoo, hoo, hoo. Joke, Jacob was a little more refined. He preferred to be indoors, hanging out in the tent with his mom, swapping recipes and sharing stories. Esau was flannel and Jacob was linen. Esau was venison and Jacob was prime rib. Esau was hairy. Jacob was clean shaven. Esau smelled like he had been outdoors. And Jacob, he probably smelled like soap and cologne. One day Esau had been hunting and he came home and he was hungry and Jacob had made a pot of beans and Esau wanted the bowl and Jacob saw opportunity. He convinced Esau to trade his birthright for the opportunity, really the opportunity to be the firstborn had to inherit his father's blessing and his future as the patriarch of the family. He encouraged him to trade his birthright for a bowl of beans. And Esau, led by his sense of taste, sense of smell, his hungry stomach, he decided he was about to die of starvation and his birthright was worth nothing if he was dead, so he had to have a bowl of beans. And so he traded. As time passed, Father Isaac grew old. He became blind in his old age. He could no longer see. His sense of sight, sight was gone. And Isaac called Esau his favorite, his firstborn son in. And he calls him to him and he says, I'm old. I don't know when I'm going to die. I know it'll be soon. But before I go, I want you to take your bow and your arrows. And I want you to go out into the countryside. And I want you to kill an animal and prepare it for me to eat just the way I like it. And once I've eaten the food that you prepare for me, I will give you the blessing you are to receive as my firstborn son before I die. And so Esau, a typical hunter, any excuse to go and kill something was a good, good day. He puts on his camo, his blaze orange hat. He grabs his bow and his quiver of arrows and off he goes in search of something to kill. His mom, Rebecca, whose favorite was Jacob, she overheard this story or the conversation and she ran to Jacob and she says, hey, I overheard this conversation between your dad and your brother. He says he's going to give his blessing to Esau. Esau is out hunting right now, and when he comes back, he's going to fix whatever he kills. He's going to fix your dad a meal just the way he likes it, and dad is going to eat it, and then he's going to bless Esau. So here's what we're going to do. And she concocts a plan with Jacob to fool his blind father. She has Jacob go kill two young goats and cook, bring the meat to her, and she makes the meat just the way she knows her husband likes it. And Jacob protested her plan. He really didn't protest it because he thought it was a bad idea, but he just didn't think he had what it took to pull it off. He says, Mom, look, Esau's hairy. I'm smooth. What if Dad touches my arm? I don't smell like Esau either. What am I going to do if Dad smells me? And Rebecca looks around, and she found what she was looking for. Esau had dropped off his laundry and his favorite dirty clothes were right there. And that should teach all of our young people today that you ought to learn to do your own laundry rather than rely on mom if you want to be blessed. <laughs> you ought to do your own laundry and not rely on mom if you want to be blessed. You want me to say it again? I'll say it a third time. I will. She took Esau's smelly clothes and she put them on Jacob. She then took the skins of the goats and, and she covered his hands and his arms and his neck with the skin of a goat. 
And she made the food and she baked some bread and she prepared some wine and she sent it in by Jacob to her, to her husband Isaac for him to eat. We pick up the story in verse 18, Genesis chapter 27. It says, so Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered, who are you, Esau or Jacob? Jacob replied, it's Esau, your firstborn son. I've done as you told me. Here's the wild game. Now sit up and eat it so you can give me your blessing. Isaac asked, how do you find it so quickly? The Lord your God put it in my path, was Jacob's reply. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come closer so I can touch you. Make sure that you really are Esau. So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him. The voice is Jacob's, he cried, but the hands are the hands of Esau. But he did not recognize Jacob because Jacob's hands felt hairy, just like Esau's. So Isaac prepared to bless Jacob. Then he asked, but are you really my son, Esau? Are you really my son, he asked. Yes, I am, Jacob replied. Then Isaac said, now my son, bring me the wild game. Let me eat it, and then I will give you my blessing. So Jacob took the food to his father, and Isaac ate it. He also drank the wine that Jacob served him. And then Isaac said to Jacob, please come a little closer and kiss me, my son. So Jacob went over and kissed him. And when Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he was finally convinced and he blessed his son. He said, ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. When my senses fail me, we see Jacob and his mother really fraudulently tricking his old blind father into giving the blessing, not to whom Jacob or to Isaac intended, but to Jacob. And he did so by tricking the senses that the old man had left. He used the fact that Isaac could not see against him. He used his ability to smell against him by providing fresh bread and his, fresh fa his favorite meal. And how many times are we tempted or tricked into doing something because of what we smell? If you've ever put your hands into the McDonald's bag quickly after leaving the drive-thru and ate them before you got home, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They used his taste against him, that wonderful meal, his favorite, cooked just the way he liked it. How many times has your diet been wrecked because you went back for a third helping of your favorite meal? They used a sense of touch against him. When he reached out and he touched his hands, he could feel the hairy goat skin, and he mistook it for the hands of Esau, which tells you that Esau probably needed some moisturizer or some lotion because his skin felt like a goat. They used a sense of smell against him again as he still wasn't sure but then he got a whiff of Esau's clothes and nobody smelled like Esau. So he gave his blessing to Jacob even though he could hear the voice of Jacob and he said the hands are the hands of Esau but the voice is the voice of Jacob overwhelmed by the evidence taken in by his other senses. He failed to hear or at least to listen to the one piece of evidence that was screaming the truth to him. And so many times we do the exact same thing. Life comes at us from all different directions. Our senses are inundated by information. Some good, some bad, some just noise. And because of all the noise, all the stimulation of our senses, we become desensitized to all the good things that are happening all around us. We are hit by storms and sickness and struggles and troubles on every hand. And life can be overwhelming, particularly if we're trying to experience it through our senses that are given to us by God for us to utilize so we can perceive the world around us. But when our senses begin to fail us, when they begin to give us faulty information, when the stimuli that we are observing translates to faulty thinking, when it 
causes us to begin to question and doubt and wonder and perhaps even make wrong decisions, where do we turn when our senses begin to fail us? Who do you lean on? What do you lean on when you are overwhelmed by what you see, what you hear, what you feel? When the doctor gives you a bad report or when the bank tells you no or when you try to trust God but, but when you see and what you hear and what you feel tells you something different, where do you turn when your senses begin to fail you? We are taught that living for God is a walk of faith. It's a journey that many times will cause us to trust in what we can't see, to believe what we cannot hear, to quantify what we cannot accomplish on our own with a sense, uh, the sense of using our five senses just doesn't add up. As a matter of fact, there are passages and challenges us to utilize our senses that challenge what we normally see and hear. For instance, the Apostle John challenged us to love one another in 1 John 4.20. He says it this way. He says, if someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? So he's literally challenging our ability to love God based on the fact that we can't even see God. And yet in our senses, we need to normally see to order to truly love. In John chapter 14, Jesus and Philip have a conversation where Philip is challenging Jesus to show us the Father so that we can believe in him. His senses really being assaulted in essence because he couldn't comprehend how he was, this man named Jesus was telling them about his Father, but he couldn't believe in him because he hadn't seen him. And, and, and he didn't mean to be disrespectful. I don't think he ever meant to hurt Jesus' feelings in the moment, but he, he literally is questioning Jesus. In John 14, 9, Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Yes, you've visualized me, you've processed me with your senses, but my challenge today, Philip, is that you believe what you can't see. Can your senses handle seeing me and recognizing that while you've seen me, you've also seen my dad? Which brings me to really a foundational thought that I find sure. To me, it's such an important concept that I would encourage you to write this down on your fridge and look at it every day. Because Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, it says, For we live by faith and not by sight. In other words, we're on a journey. We're in a walk with Christ. And this journey is one that doesn't take place in a fashion that can be quantified using your senses. It can't be comprehended by taste even though we are invited to taste and see that the Lord is good. It can't be quantified by our smell, even though we talk about the aroma of the presence of God. It can't be quantified by our ability to touch or sight or even your hearing in the traditional sense. There are people all over our world who are pursuing Christ based on a feeling, a goosebumper, trying to quantify their relationship with God based on a special touch or an emotional feeling. But God's word tells us that our journey was never meant to be understood through our five senses, it was meant to be a journey in which we live by faith. Earlier in this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, he's, Paul is talking about how we have evidence and confidence in God, even though as long as we are in this old fleshly body, our bodies are limited and we're not yet home with the Lord, we still have faith and confidence in God because we understand that the day will come when we are taken off this earthly, out of our earthly bodies and our earthly senses that are limited by what we can see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. 
We'll put those aside one day and we will forever be with the Lord for all eternity. And the reason we have that confidence, the reason we stand with faith and believe in what we can't see, what we can't perceive with our human senses, the reason we believe it and stand firm on it is that we're living a life of faith and not a life of sight. In other words, we live not by what we can perceive with our senses, but rather what we have experienced through faith. So I want to give you four statements today and then I'll be done. I believe they'll keep you in shape in regards to your relationship with God when life comes at you from a different direction than you can perceive or understand. I think about the story of Isaac and really the fraud that was perpetrated on him by his son and his wife. Isaac, who obviously could not see, trusted in what he felt. He trusted in what he tasted. He trusted in what he smelled. He, he, he trusted in those senses more than what he heard. Which brings me to my first point when my senses fail me, I've got to trust in what I hear. See, now I'm aware that hearing is one of our five senses and I'm talking about your senses failing you. And that happens to be the sense and essence that Isaac ignored. I'm also aware that hearing takes on a special connotation when we begin to hear with more than our ears. When we begin to listen for the voice of God in our life, we are hearing beyond our sensory perception of sound and we are beginning to hear with extrasensory perception through faith. Here's what I mean. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when all my senses are reporting doom, gloom, despair, and misery on me, as the, as the old fellow on Hee Haw used to sing, my faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. My ability to perceive, to hear beyond the natural into the supernatural, beyond the external and into the eternal, beyond the normal into the extraordinary, my ability to hear the voice of God comes from my connection to the word of God. So when I see a host of enemies surrounding me, the word of God tells me that no weapon formed against me shall prosper and that if the enemies come and surround me, he will lift up a standard against them. Jesus declares that he is the good shepherd and his sheep know his voice. And today when my senses are topsy-turvy, I have to trust in my shepherd who speaks words of life into me, whose voice directs me in the paths of right living, directs me to green pastures and still waters. My shepherd's voice who guides my way and leads me in the way that I should go. The reason his sheep know his voice is because they have become familiar with the words of their master. In our lives, we do that by becoming very familiar with God's word. When my senses fail me, I will trust in what I hear. I will trust in God's word in my life because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, my second point is this, when my senses fail me, I will trust in what I know. And this is kind of similar to what I hear because it's very much based on my knowledge and understanding of God's word. So in that sense, I gotta trust in what I know. But not all of my knowledge is book knowledge. Much of my knowledge is experiential. It is knowledge that is gained through experience. And so when my senses fail me, what I can perceive with my ability to see, hear, taste, touch, and smell, when they fail me and they bring me no peace, I still can know peace. Because I know the peace speaker. I know him by name. He is my God. And I can know peace when nothing else brings me peace. Because the one who spoke peace in my life so many times before, what he's done before, he will, he's able to do again. 
when all I can feel is pain or all I can see is a negative report from the doctor, I know that my God is a healer and the very same God who's healed me before, he is well able to do it again. What I also know is that if he chooses not to heal me, I know that the Bible tells me to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so if my body fails me and I pass from this life, I walk by faith and not by sight and I know who holds my tomorrow. And if I pass from this life, I will turn this old broken body down and I will pick up a new one in Christ Jesus that I will have for all eternity. It will be free of pain, disease, sickness, hurt. I can walk by faith knowing that's my future. Can you say amen? When I feel like a failure on my past creeps upon me and I feel guilty and I feel condemnation over the things I've done wrong, I know that the Bible tells me that I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus and that there is no condemnation to those who are in him. And I know that I'm more than a conqueror through him who loved me. And I know that greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. And I know that Jesus called me his friend and went to Calvary on my behalf and died for my sins. And because he did, I can live free from condemnation. When my senses fail me, I must trust in what I know. Amen? So when my senses fail me, I trust in what I hear. I trust in what I know. And then my third point is I trust in whom I have believed. See, when I'm most confused, when what I'm seeing or what I'm feeling doesn't, begins to really come into conflict with what I know by faith, I think it's always important to go back to the place of stable ground. The Bible tells me that God doesn't change. There's no instability in him. There's not even a sense of turning when you stare at his shadow. Have you ever noticed that if you see a shadow, it will turn or move even when it's from a stationary object because the angle at which the light is appearing on that changes based on the position of the sun. The sun doesn't actually move, but as the earth turns, that the angle at which the sun is approaching that object causes a shadow to turn. The Bible says... There's in God that there's not even a shadow of turning. In other words, the world around him may be moving, but he remains stable, unmovable, unwavering. He can be counted on. He is absolute. He doesn't move with the winds of change blowing around him. And because he doesn't, I can count on him. 2 Timothy 1 and 12 says, For this reason I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Paul talking to his protege, Timothy, he lets him know, right now I'm in prison. There's a whole lot of things I've done and people are saying bad things about me. There's a whole lot of things that I've done in the name of Christ for the kingdom of God. And there are people even in the church that are talking bad about me. But I have this confidence. I know in whom I have believed. I'm not ashamed of what I've done. I'm not ashamed of it at all. Matter of fact, you know what? My head's probably going to end up on a chopping block and I'm probably going to be killed over this. But I just want you to know that I know in whom I have believed and I know that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. There are times when we begin to contemplate the circumstances of our life, begin to contemplate all the things that are going on around us, all of the, the wearing that blows our senses away. But I want you to know today, thank you, Lisa, I know that in spite of the report, I know that in spite of what is going on around me, I know in whom I have believed and he is able to keep me to that day. He is able to complete the promises he has made in my life. He is able to complete everything that he has put in my life to be done. He's able to bring it to pass. There are some absolutes. There are some statements that 
I have believed by faith that do not change. I know that God is for me. I know that God is with me. I know that God will never leave me or forsake me. I know that he loves me and I know that there's not one piece of hair that falls from this head that he doesn't know about in catalog. I know that he takes care of flowers and birds and that reassures me that he won't forget about me during my time of need. <clears throat> Paul said, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him. When I was in Bible college, our pastor's wife used to sit at the piano and she would sing this song. And over the years, the sentiment of this song has really carried me through times when uh, my circumstances were less than stellar and my senses were certainly failing. These are the words, and I want you to hear them today, not as if I'm trying to sing them, but just imagine somebody singing them that's a whole lot better and better looking than me. All things work for our good, though sometimes we don't see how they could. Struggles that break our hearts in two sometimes blind us to the truth. Our Father knows what's best for us. His ways are not our own. So when your pathway grows dim and you don't see him, remember you're never alone. For God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. He sees the master plan and he holds our future in his hand and so don't live as those who have no hope. All our hope is found in him. We see the present clearly, but he sees the first and the last. And like a tapestry, he's weaving you and me to someday be just like him. For God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. I know that there are people in this room that are facing things that they never thought they'd be facing and they don't understand the why. I don't have an answer for you today. I don't understand the why either. But when I don't understand and I can't see his hand and I can't figure out his plan, I've got to trust his heart. I know that the situation is dicey and I know that you can't see your way out and I know that it doesn't make sense right now and I know that what you're facing is overwhelming every good bit of sense that you have but I also know I can trust his heart. I know in whom I have believed today and he is for me, he is with me, he loves me, he has plans to prosper me and not to harm me. My final point is that when my senses fail me, I can trust in the Holy Spirit to be my guide. Many times you'll see a blind person will have a guide, someone to lead them around. Or many of them even have seeing eye dogs that act as a guide to help to ensure that while their sense of sight has failed, they're still able to trust in someone else who can see to guide them along the way. In John chapter 16, Jesus is with his disciples there in the upper room. He's giving his final sermon. His final discourse to his disciples, telling them all the things that he needs for them to know. <clears throat> and he says, hey, I want y'all to know I'm going away. None of you have asked me where I'm going, but you need to know I am going somewhere. And I know you're sad because you know I'm getting ready to go. But I'm telling you, it's to your advantage that I'm going. Because if I don't go, the comforter, the helper, the advocate, the friend, many different versions translated different ways. But the bottom line is... Jesus was going away and he was going to send something back that would be all of those things, a comforter, a helper, an advocate, a friend. And then in verse 13, he says this, 
However, when he, the spirit of truth, referring to the comforter, the advocate, the friend that was going to come in his place, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. Everybody say he will guide you. There are many people who will tell you they have a sixth sense about things, an intuition, a gut feeling, a God-given perception. But for the Christian, we have the privilege of being filled with the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the friend, the guide, the advocate, the helper, the infusion of the Spirit of Christ within us that guides us and leads us and helps us through the storms of this life. Through the times when we don't know where to turn, it gives us the power to keep moving forward to continue walking by faith, to continue trusting and striving for understanding, the, the, the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And many times I think of the Holy Spirit much like a GPS system. For those of you that are still using Rand McNally, I'm really proud of you and you ought to give yourself an applause. But for most of us, if you want to know where to go somewhere, you either speak or type into your phone and it gives you a location and a direction and it guides you step by step from where you need to go. A GPS knows when to tell me to turn, when to take a detour, when to stop, when to go left, when to go right, when to alter my direction, when to try a different route, when to get back on the right path, when I've ventured off, redirecting, recalculating, you know, it moves you back to where you need to go. Because somehow, something that connects to my phone sees farther down the road than I can. It knows about things that are happening down the road that I can't see yet. It knows the path I need to get to the predetermined destination. It takes me in the path that I need to go. The Holy Spirit within me knows how to lead me and guide me, how to direct my path, how to help me avoid disaster, how to redirect me when I get off the right road. When my senses fail me, I trust in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God living within me to guide me and to direct me and to lead me and to keep me in the path that he has chosen for me. Left on my own, I will get off the path. You can guarantee it. Left to my own devices, I will take the wrong turn. I will get lost. I will go the wrong direction. I need the Holy Spirit to guide me and keep me headed in the right direction. When my senses fail me, I trust and the Spirit of God to guide me and to lead me and to keep me going on the path he's chosen for me. In closing, if our praise team and musicians would come, <clears throat> I thought about this other great passage in the Old Testament, particularly dealing with our senses, our ability to see. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the prophet Isaiah, or a prophet Elisha, I'm sorry, was in the city of Dothan, and the Assyrians were frustrated, assuming they had a spy in their midst because Whenever they would make plans to go against Israel, God would reveal those plans to the prophet Elisha. And Elisha would pass them on to the king of Israel, and they would then develop a plan to thwart the plan for the, of the Assyrians. And So you can see why the enemy would be frustrated. Wouldn't that be nice to have something like that in, in our military? So he's accusing his men of leaking information or someone being a spy, and finally one of his servants says, no, none of that is true. We don't have a spy in our midst. We're not leaking information. Nobody's been bought and sold out. They have Elisha. And Elisha rats you out because his God gives him special information. Elisha knows what you're doing in your bedroom when you're all by yourself alone. And so God has shown Elisha all those things, and Elisha's the one that tells him. So they find out that Elisha is in Dothan. And the king of Syria sends the entire army to surround the city where Elisha is. And Elisha sends his servant out to take a look. 
And he comes back scared to death because there's an army of horses and chariots that are surrounding the city. And the servant says, Elisha, what are we going to do? They've got us. They're going to take us. They're going to kill us. What are we going to do? And Elisha, he trusts in what he's heard and he trusts in what he knows and he trusts in his God in whom he believes and he trusts in the spirit of God as his guide. And he says, don't worry, my servant friend. Those that are with us are more than those that are with them. I just picture the servant probably like me, very real, very just sees things on the surface. And I'm thinking with us, you got, you got a mouse in your pocket because right now it's just me and you. I, I don't know who you're talking about with us. And then Elisha, the Bible says Elisha prayed. And he said these words, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. The young man looked once more and he saw the mountains surrounding the city were alive, filled with horses and chariots of fire. The armies of the Lord and angels had surrounded the army that had come to take Elisha. And today, that's my prayer for you. I can't tell you why all the things have happened in your life the way they have. I can't tell you why certain things have occurred. I can't tell you why you've had to face the things you face. Right now, it may feel like you're surrounded by the armies of the enemy. Your senses may be failing, but I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that he would open your eyes so that you can see that they that be with us are more than they that are with them. That in you, God, we can put our hope. In you, we can put our trust. We can put our hope in your word. We can walk by faith and not by what we can see. We can trust in what we know about you. We can trust in your plan for our future. That we can trust in you to lead us and guide us. And in those moments when we see and what we hear, when it seems contrary to what we know, I pray, God, that you would let our faith rise up and that we would stand in assurance knowing that you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or even think according to your Holy Spirit that works within us, guiding us, leading us, directing us, giving us hope for a future that you put together all on your own for us, God, not to harm us, but to to keep us and to heal us and to prosper us. That that which you've begun in us, you are able to complete. You will bring it to pass according to your word. We thank you for it in your precious name. If you'd stand with me all over this auditorium. They're getting ready to sing a song, the bridge of which says, I know we're on the verge of a breakthrough, right? I, I know. I know that it's going to come to pass because I know that what God has begun, God will continue to do. God will do it. God will bring it about. And so I'm asking you today as we open this altar one more time, I know we've already kind of had a time around the altar, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the word today. When your senses are failing, I want to challenge you to recognize we have a faith in God that will carry us when all the other things around us fail us. I know breakthrough is coming. 
by faith I see a miracle. My God made me a promise. And it's not going to stop now. I, I, I know that that breakthrough is coming for somebody today. I know that a miracle is here. I know that God can do exactly what he promised in his word. And I know that God will bring some things to pass that you never dreamed possible. So as they began to play and to sing, I want to open this altar today. I want you to come and gather around. And I want us to declare by faith that God is going to finish just what he started. That he's not quitting just because my senses are telling me otherwise. I want us to go to the throne today in faith. What do you say? Let's gather around this altar, if you will, right now. By faith, I see a miracle. My God made me a promise and it won't stop Joseph gets these promises from God and he's so excited about these promises. He begins running around telling everybody about them. He's bragging to his brothers about them. That didn't sit too well. And we see what happens to Joseph from the point that God gave him this amazing promise. He, he, he gets placed in a pit, sold into slavery, sent off to Egypt. 
He gets to Egypt, he gets a job, and then his boss's wife lies about him, and he gets sent to prison. And uh, I don't know about you, but if all that had happened to me after God promised, I'd be like, it's okay, God, you don't have to give me no more promises. I'm good. But years go by after the promise. Years. Not like weeks, not like days. Years. Like 20-some years. And he's in Egypt. He's in a prison. Every part of his life has been destroyed. He's seeing guys that have been disloyal to the king literally getting restored to their positions, and he's still stuck in the prison. And I wonder sometimes if the promises that God has put in our life, because it doesn't happen in the time frame that we think or in the in the way that we think it should come to pass, if sometimes we don't get frustrated in the moment and we think, God, what are you doing to me? Why are you leading me in this way? Why, why are you leaving me out here all alone without your promises being fulfilled? What did I do? What did I get? How did I get disqualified? I mean, what, 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 what? But I believe God today has come to remind us that every promise he has intention to fulfill, and it may not be like you think, it may not be when you think, but if you'll stay faithful, and you'll stay continuing on and you'll trust in him and you'll believe in whom has promised and you'll hold him faithful and count him as real because he promised it to you and you'll stand faithful, God will bring every promise to pass. We just got to stand on the word of God today. That's why when we sing this song, I take that, I take that, that, uh, the bridge of this song extremely serious. I mean, it's like, for me, this is awesome. I know breakthrough's coming. I, I don't see it. I don't hear it. I don't taste it. I don't smell it, but I know it's coming. I know breakthrough's coming. I know. Why? Because I know in whom I have believed and he promised me and his promises are sure. His promises are yea and amen. Every one of them will come to pass. We just got to trust in it today. Can you say amen? One more time all over this house. Let's lift our hands and thank him all over this house for his word. God, we thank you today for your perfect will in our lives. Accomplish your will, oh God. We thank you today in Jesus' name. Let's thank him all over this house one more time. Let's give him praise. Father, we bless you. We honor you. We thank you, Lord. There's none like you, oh God, and we thank you today. Blessed be your name in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for being in the house of the Lord today and worshiping with us. If you'll stop by the, in the back, you can sign up for a life group. You can also sign up to be a part of the Renew uh, Seminar in the lobby. But well, we're excited to have you in the house of God today. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you next week. Have a great week.